Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com Radio Show. Hadit.com Radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this uh, 23rd day of February 2018. We're here today with our co-host, Jay Basser, and uh, today our guest speaker is Dr. Cantrell, Bridget Cantrell. Uh, We've had her on uh, before, so she's not new to a lot of you, and and, uh, I'm sure uh, uh, quite a few of you out there have read her books. I believe you've written, what, four books now, Bridget? Oh, I've got uh, five books now. Five books? You got mm-hmm. another one now? Well, by golly, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, thank you. Trying to stay warm. We're having a little bit of a, uh, a little snowstorm over here, and it's very uh, cool and wintry. Well, you can keep that. Uh it's raining here, but it's about oh. 40 degrees. So <laughs> oh, wow. That. Yeah, it's in the low 20s here. Oh, low 20s? Yeah, mid-20s. My land, where are you at? Canada? <laughs> I'm near Canada. <laughs> I'm up in the north part of Washington State. Wow. Long way off. Yes. <clears throat> but but you had some things you was going to talk to us about tonight, uh, PTSD being one of them, and uh, uh, MST, uh, which is always a serious one. And uh, I think we're going to try to touch a little bit on service dogs. I'm, I'm an animal lover myself, and I believe, you know, I don't think it hurt any veteran to have a dog, (laughs) Uh, but having a service dog is really helpful to a lot of veterans, so we want to look after that. Uh, On PTSD, Bridget, I know you do a lot of work in this field. have you seen any positive effects? Uh, oh, I must have lost her. Yeah, no, you uh, did lose me. I'm back on the line. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, on PTSD, I know you've worked with uh, PTSD uh, veterans uh, quite a bit. Have you seen any improvement the way the VA recognizes uh, PTSD veterans. Are they becoming more supportive? I think that they are in some regard in terms of trying different kinds of treatment modalities, like, uh, you know, looking more at the, rather than just the the, uh, psychological symptoms, I think they're also treating uh, this as, well, how, what else can we offer 
that would be considered perhaps an alternative form of healing. So I know that at um, some of my VAs or my vet centers here in Bellingham, they're doing a yoga class, and, and you know, that's very good because it um, keeps people in their bodies uh, and makes them more mindful of uh, being in the present moment and gives them a sense of exercise and, you know, the stretching and everything. So um, that's a wonderful thing that they're doing. I've also heard that where they're doing some acupuncture in certain uh, VAs, um, to address some of the um, anxiety symptoms and the depression. So that's also something new. And I think that just um, having uh, more classes with the family members, more psychoeducational classes, I think they're trying different things, but I can't speak to all the VAs. And, of course, we know that we have our problems in that system as well. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I've always said, now, whether I'm right or wrong, just from talking to a lot of different veterans with PTSD, I believe there's a lot of different levels of PTSD, (laughs) and all too many times it's not recognized. Uh, They they try to use uh, one pill to catch all, and I... I just can't believe, you know, that's the case. They're going to have to learn to put them in proper categories of some, somehow. I, you know, I'm no. Yeah, expert. I think that's true. I think you know we we have to realize that <clears throat> not all shoes fit the same foot, and. In this particular situation, as we know, um, the precipitating factor, whatever that may be, uh, it could be combat, it could be military sexual trauma, and even in the civilian world, it could be an assault, it could be a natural disaster, it could be like the shootings that we're having in these high schools and, and those types of things. And everybody reacts differently, and they have a different level of of interpretation and um perception of what's happened in their in their experience and so we have to look at that as an individual and what what how do they see this and how does it affect them because as we know it affects people differently and we can't just lump everybody into the same category you're so right on that yes uh, to me it's so obvious but uh and then I, I sit back and I wonder why in the world are they trying to use the same remedy for for all of them because they're all a little bit different. But, well, you uh, know, on that same vein, um, Cheryl, I got a, an email earlier in the week where, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they're trying to deter. They're trying to. Uh, um, I think it's not. It's not the VA. It's like the. Uh, different organizations, the big lobbyist groups, that type of thing, they're looking at this as um, here's the standard of care, here's how we expect you to treat this, these are the number of sessions we're going to give you, and we expect this type of outcome. Uh, Needless to say, that's not how it works. That's how um, these big organizations or insurance companies or whoever's driving this um, type of um, perspective, that's how they would like it to work. But that is not how real life works. And 
I'm an advocate for looking at the individual and um, and finding out from them particularly how they would be most been, um, helped, how, what would be most beneficial for them in terms of support, treatment, psychoeducation, um, physical activity, social support, um, and and looking at the person from that perspective rather than just saying, okay, this is a cookie cutter, and this is where you have to you have to fit within this parameter. Uh, that'll never work. No, it will never uh, work. Uh, <clears throat> it's a complex thing, mm-hmm. and they have to uh, the psychiatrists or the people in the know have to sit down and break it up in different categories just to mm-hmm. start with. And, uh, uh, you know, how many different stages, uh, uh, you know, I guess that'd be unpredictable, but, but they they bound to have an idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking in intelligent doctors uh, mm-hmm. uh, that should say, you know, this is a level one or level two or level three or uh, it'd be a starting point, you know. Uh, let's start there and then move up or down or where we're going to go. And I know that um, a lot of us who work <laughs> in the field of trauma have written letters and um, have voiced our opinion on this particular situation that this is not going to work, this is doing a disservice to those people that are seeking treatment, and um, we need to look at that uh, very carefully. And, like, you know, everybody's different, too. You know, some people uh, fare better than others, and and sometimes the symptoms lay dormant for a long, long time. It could lay dormant for years, and then there's something that comes along and activates their reactivity to something. And, um, you know, like it was like 9-11. When 9-11 happened, I had Vietnam veterans coming out of the woodwork because their whole world was unraveling. Um, And, you know, it's our assumptions that things, excuse me, uh, things uh, are, you know, status quo, and then all of a sudden something comes along and, and blows us out of the water, and that's where we start having... Uh, symptoms of stress reaction, and I think of that as a skill set. You know, you may be more hypervigilant. You may not be sleeping. You may be uh, not as trusting as of people or not wanting to go in large groups of people um, for the just by the fact that you can't control for all the variables. So we have skill sets that we develop over time uh, that help us cope uh, which in you know maybe in a normal circumstance seems over the top, but in a situation where we need to have people step up to the plate and be aware of what's going on and react very quickly and not just respond but look at something very quickly, um, those are adapted. But in the most part in our society, that's not the case, and that's why we um, try to help people understand the difference between reacting and responding. Yes, I think over time, so many of your PTSD veterans have acquired the ability to sense Mm -hmm. what, uh, uh, 
you know, this might not be a good situation for me, and then try to avoid it, you know, go out of the road to avoid an issue, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's subconsciously or whatever. I think, I think that sense is there until something does trigger them. Mm-hmm. Like a yeah. traumatic experience, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, boom! It's blowed out there, and and it's uh, alive and well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. So you know, PTSD is very complex, and you know, there's um, physical symptoms that go along, you know, with that, and uh, that exacerbate, you know, PTSD and. Um, you know, c- chronic pain, not sleeping, uh, and those types of things, or even people doing self-medication to mask their symptoms, that's certainly detrimental to um, moving forward with their uh, healing process. Uh, yes, uh, and that's another major issue is the self-medication, uh, uh, you know, that's a sad thing because they shouldn't be self-medicating. They're just covering it up. Mm-hmm. Putting icing on a cake, it ain't no good. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's something I have to be watched for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least perhaps uh, the VA is starting to recognize uh, they've been involved with PTSD uh, veterans for long enough now. I mean, how many years? You would think they'd have it broke down better than what they do. Yeah, well, and you know, every generation is a little bit different. And uh, and the, the culture is a little bit different, so that makes it you know, more challenging. But like I say, it's just not combat veterans or or veterans in, in specifically that have uh, issues around PTSD. So I think that with all everything that's going on, and I know we said this the last time I was on, that it's bringing an awareness, you know, the first responders, the communities, and now we're looking at school teachers. We're, I mean, it's just uh, the children. We're looking at all different levels and of uh, exposure to traumatic events. Well, uh, yes, and uh, I don't know if being younger, uh, like the children in the high schools now that, where they've had all these shootings. Uh, it seems to me it's going to be harder or it's going to take more work to get them through this uh, traumatic experiences uh, than what they suspect. Uh I just don't see it being an easy job because they can't control when they have flashbacks or anything. Yeah, no, but, you know, part of the, one of the most important things about this, and I've mentioned this many times and in my books, too, is telling your story. Yes. And, um, 
our culture doesn't really have platforms for that, so we need to create those platforms. Uh, you know, the indigenous cultures, they have ceremonies, they have, they have storytelling, um, their, their stories are honored. And, and so I think that our, these, these, these young people that we're talking about, um, they're, being, they're having a platform right now. They're putting their pain into something that is significantly meaningful to them, and that is really um, a positive thing for their healing uh, because they're moving forward and they're taking their pain and they're putting it into action. And our veterans uh, haven't been able to do that. Our veterans true. have gone underground and have hidden uh, their symptoms for many, many decades for fear of being judged and cast out and banished from the tribe, so to speak. And they yes. lose that sense of being in a team. Um, so that that sense of feeling like they're part of a team or something bigger than themselves is really important in their processing, uh, their, 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 uh, their trauma and feeling like, wow, I'm not alone, you know, and here's somebody else next to me that understands uh, pretty much what I, what I, they saw what I experienced. They may not have been exactly uh, affected the same way, but needless to say, there's a lot of commonality. So I think in regard to these young people um, who are experiencing all this horrific uh, trauma, I believe it's very important that they continue to, you know, uh, collaborate and they, they, um, they find their peace uh, in terms of trying to change, making change. I think that's a very important thing. And that's what our Vietnam vets did. If it wasn't for our Vietnam vets, I don't think we'd be where we are right now, even talking about this on the radio program, because you, the Vietnam vets gave this a voice, and they, yes. made, it, they made it come to life and, and have demonstrated over and over, this is how we're affected. These are the challenges we face every single moment of every day and we need people to get on board with us we need we need support from our families we need uh, VA centers and people to recognize what we're going through we need the military to understand how this affects their their troops so i think that having that sense of uh belonging to to a, a team and to be able to have a platform in which to speak and share their stories and have witnesses honor them, I think that's a very important part of that process. Yes, and another good thing about the, uh, the students are they're getting help immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. where your Vietnam veterans didn't, you know. That's right. Uh, and uh, it wasn't until some terrible things happened that it become recognized that and a lot of them, that uh, they did have uh, PTSD and needed some kind of uh, medical attention. Right. Yes, that's right. And, you know, it's really important to normalize uh, the symptoms, you know, uh, having uh, sleep issues, you know, uh, being aware of your surroundings, being hypervigilant, um, maybe numbing out and and not feeling like talking or feeling like you have you're you're frozen you don't have emotions those are all parts of how um we just naturally cope with something that's so outside the range of a normal human experience we we are it just takes over or takes us 
you know, this isn't what we do. This is what happens. And so um, I think that, uh, you know, getting the help right away and normalizing the, the symptoms and, uh, like I say, not being alone, having people advocate, I think those are all really important things. Oh, absolutely. And community and family support both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that goes a long way. It certainly uh, does. I actually, um, I actually, when I did my graduate work, I actually looked at the mitigating factors of social support on uh, with Vietnam vets and who had PTSD. And of course, my study showed that you know social support was huge in mitigating some of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. It just gives people somewhere to land, and they don't have to feel like they are, um, you know, so vulnerable and and uh, out there in a situation where people don't have compassion. Uh, that's true. I mean, and, you know, I couldn't imagine hanging around with a group of people that just didn't care. You, no, you that know, would be you, awful. You would, wouldn't that? Be, yeah. yeah, that would be awful. That would be, you know, that's how we see, you know, the statistics say 22 a day of our veterans are taking their lives. And, you know, it's probably more than that. Um, We just don't know for sure. You know, there's some of those situations that look perhaps like they're accidents or whatever. But um, that's where people kind of fall off, you know, their, their their trail and they think they're a burden to their family members or they're a burden to society or or they can't take it any longer and unfortunately our veterans are um they don't do the normal kind of uh, signs along the trail that other people do to indicate that they're at that point in their lives where they just want to give up and so those of us who are around our veterans and we have to really have uh a good communication and uh, give them a great deal of support so that they would tell us if they're feeling, you know, suicidal or really hopeless. Um, that's very, very important. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you can tell when they really get down if you're, you know, you're around them a lot mm-hmm. and something something should be done. Uh Cheer them up somehow. I don't know what well, all it, the answers are. Yeah, just you know, I always say if if things and you know how our veterans are very intuitive, and if they have a buddy, and then all of a sudden maybe they're used to going out for coffee every you know Saturday morning, or you know they go out and play pool on Wednesday nights, and then all of a sudden something changes. Um, their their buddy needs to be aware that this is not normal and I need to go over there and check on my buddy. And it may be that you just need to, you know, you're not going to be alone tonight. I'm going to stay here on your couch or know you're coming over to my house for a few days. I mean, you know, just really being proactive. I have a lot of veterans that are very proactive with their um, fellow vet friends, and I know that they save lives because of that. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, that would be critical because, you know, they've been there and done it, so they know. Uh, That's right. <clears throat> uh, that, you know, there ain't no 
wishy-wars. They just know, and mm-hmm. and they know when someone cares, and I think that uh, that, mm. that goes a long way. Yeah, they someone can assess very quickly. Yeah. Oh, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I have a I have quite a few veterans that have their service animals. Oh which, yes. Which are very very instrumental in giving them a purpose, um, you know, to keep going. You know, they're going to think twice. Hopefully, a pause for a moment and go, "Wow, what's going to happen to my little furry buddy here if I decide to leave? I mean, who's going to take care of this little guy?" And uh, I, I think it's just amazing the um, the importance of service animals. In oh, my practice, I have probably, I think I have now up to 25 dogs that come in with their vets. Oh, that's uh-huh. great. And I, I just love that. And um, they come in and they, you know, they're not service animals when they're in my room. They have fun and they get treats and they get to sit on my lap and roll around on the floor and, and it's just wonderful because they're an extension of life for those people who have those animals. Oh yes, and uh, I know Teresa. She's uh, the owner of uh, Hadit dot uh, uh, com. Uh, she has service dogs, Sender, mm-hmm. and uh, they've. Uh, she said it just changed her world. Mm-hmm. When she got that dog, and yes. and she always, uh, we have her on quite a bit. I think the last time you was on, I thought she was on, but uh, I think so. Uh, yeah, she has mm-hmm. a, a PTSD ser- service dog, and uh, so we're all and uh, know the benefits of a, a service. Dog, and if a veteran can at all get their hands on one, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, most of them are donated, but it takes quite a bit to train one. Yes, absolutely, so some, definitely. Sometimes the list is uh, might be long, but it's well worth the wait. Oh, it uh, is. And they are wonderful animals. They really are. They are. They're uh, just. Wonderful addition to life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my Aussie, one of my Aussies is laying down here at my feet right now. <laughs> yeah, I got so I'm a happy camper. <laughs> he got his head on my foot, keeping it warm. Yeah. <laughs> Keep my feet warm. <laughs> he's not a service dog. Yeah. As long as he gets something to eat. That's right. And that's all that matters. <laughs> He's happy. <laughs> but uh, still a good dog to have around. Mm-hmm. I like any dog is. But, uh, yes, uh, we need to get more service dogs out in, in the hands of veterans because there are a lot of veterans that need them. And, uh, absolutely there are, definitely. And, uh, I know we have a shortage of them. Uh, we, they can't train them fast enough. Mm-hmm. But once, once everyone sees the benefit of a, a well-trained service dog, uh, 
I'm telling you, uh, it's a world of difference. Uh, like you say, it, it gives someone a reason to live. Mm-hmm. Sure does. Saying, you know, that's my buddy here. We're going to take care of each other. Well, and, so, and you know, it really calms them down because they can't have a relationship with the with that animal if they're going to be angry and and out of control. And these dogs just know what to do, and they just take that energy and transform it into, um, you know, c- compassion and love and caring, and it grounds mm-hmm. our our veterans. Yes, I, I think every veteran that needs one should have a service animal. Uh, I know they should be they should be a, a, a like a standard issue. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> yeah. And they should have uh, full medical care, you know, vet care and veterinarian mm-hmm. care, and. I think it'd be money well spent uh, for the VA and and. Uh, the benefits, uh, my lands, I don't know that you can actually assess all the benefits. They're just endless. Yes, they're endless. That's correct. I just uh, posted an article on my Facebook page uh, about the VA uh, who is working on a program for uh, training service animals. Oh. Mm-hmm. I have to send oh. that to you. Finally, yeah, mm-hmm. they should have done that uh, quite a few years ago. Yeah, uh, I think uh, right off uh, when the first service dogs uh, come out of training and they started seeing the benefits of them, uh, boy, that's when they should have went to town. Well, and, you know, I was uh, down at uh, Miramar, and they had a program with the incarcerated veterans who uh-huh. were actually, um, they were actually um, training these dogs, and they stayed in their cells with them, and they were training them to be service animals. And, and uh, I, I read that article, and they did an excellent job. Mm-hmm, they did, and then it gave the... It gave the uh, inmates also, uh, you know, a really nice feeling of having a purpose, and uh, it was it was beneficial all the way around. Yes, it was, and uh, it's too bad we don't see more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and that's another avenue to uh, it. It helped the individual that was incarcerated as well as they they got to see the benefits of their efforts, you know, and it gave them purpose too. So. Mm-hmm. That's right. And now the the article I read, I just have it right here, is on military dot com, and it's by Jim Ash or Absher, A B like Bravo, S like Sam, H E R, and it's called. VA program provides service dogs to veterans with mental health issues. So um, it's really an interesting article. Yes, that is a good article. Um, 
Yes, we need more service dogs out there. I'd like to see more of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, now, means we have more female veterans, Bridget. Are mm-hmm. you seeing more and more uh, uh, MST uh, cases? Oh, I have for years. I've seen MST cases, and um, <clears throat> well, you know, I do. And I I actually work in a more rural area, and so I'm not mm-hmm. as concentrated uh, in that regard. Uh, but yes, of course, there's a, a lot of um, cases of MST, uh, both just not just female veterans, but also male veterans. And so I am, I continue, I can't say I'm seeing more, but I continue to see them. And certainly um, that's a very devastating situation. And uh, there's so many layers of um, of trauma and shame and guilt and betrayal and uh, so many complexities to that. And and different ways of uh, dealing with that. I see quite a few with what we call complex PTSD that involves, um, you know, a lot of the emotional um, um, type of uh, destructive behaviors. Um, there's uh, dissociative states where um, if they get triggered, they dissociate. Although my combat vets do too, but MST quite a bit where um they they'll be here physically, but um, emotionally, there it's like you who nobody's home. It's a blank stare. It's um, and they're dissociated from their body because that was their way of coping with the, uh, the a violation that had been taking place. Oh man, uh, yeah, that's that's a rough deal, and even those don't they. Uh, a sign of PTSD uh, uh, service connection on on those. That's what I understand. Yes, I I understand that they're uh, they're they. I would hope they still are. They were more lenient with that. You know, they would give them a service connection uh, much more readily for that. Uh, than they would even for combat trauma, from what I had found, what I had experienced. And then they're yeah. they're eligible for services right away. The um, the difficulty with that sometimes is that, uh, especially for both male and female, but it's being around um, the military mindset, the VA mindset, which for them is a trigger. Uh-huh. You know, uh, they've started um, um, making, uh, years ago they started giving like women clinics and that type of thing, so they were off not having to walk in front of all the male uh, veterans and that type of thing uh, because that was a trigger for them. So there's there's a lot of triggers associated with the military sexual trauma that you may not see in combat um, stress reactions. Now, I know with Teresa, I think she said that uh, she had her own counselor and everything. She can get mm-hmm. a hold of her any time, which yes. I thought was a, a great deal. Yes. Uh, but I don't know that 
of course, naturally, PTSD is going to fall into this this round. Oh, yes. Of, but of course. I mean, they, they, they I have PTSD, of course. I think it needs course. to be more specialized. So. It's just, a, it's, it's, you know, they have all the symptoms of the post-traumatic stress. But on top of that, there's a, a layer of other things that happen. We, we see a lot of uh, physical ailments um, with, uh, there, you know, more um, behavioral issues. We'll see, for example, a, may, a female, uh, she may have my, more gynecological problems. Um, she may have more difficulty having an intimate relationship. Um, uh, she may have um, more difficulty with uh, just avoidance behaviors and not being able to go out and be around uh, um, male counterparts or whatever. So, and we, like you know, we, like I say, it is all individual, but um, there's a whole layer of other issues that go along with uh, military sexual trauma. Oh yes, even uh, physical injury. I mean, yes. you know, actual physical injury. That's right. And, you know, and, you know we see uh, chronic fatigue. We see uh, fibromyalgia, um, autoimmune diseases. Uh, so a lot of that stress, and as we know, stress affects our physical bodies. Uh, but then there's the shame component. There's the anger, the sense of betrayal. Who do I trust? That person who also wore a uniform was someone that I was supposed to be able to rely on. They were supposed to be one of my team members, and they violated me. Um, and that goes without saying for males and females. So um, it's very complex. Oh, yes. I can see that. It, it, it's a nightmare. I think it should be actually... I don't know if it should be broken away from PTSD, but PTSD falls, you know, it it all no. runs together. Oh, no, it's it's still, they still have post-traumatic stress disorder, but we're just talking about the specific type of trauma. Yes. Like I say, you know, we can get trauma from natural disasters, from automobile accidents, from assaults, from uh, witnessing someone being uh you know, the shootings or whatever it is. But we're just specifically talking right now about military sexual trauma as opposed to combat-related trauma. It's just there's a whole bunch of different kinds of, of issues that go along with that. And, and of course, you know, one of the issues is those, of the, those people who have been uh, it, um, the survivors of military sexual trauma whether it's harassment or a, viol a physical violation or whatever, <clears throat> they're also part of the system that violated them. So <clears throat> yes. it gets very complex. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough issue to resolve, really, uh -huh. all the way around. Yes, and, it is. Uh, I don't know that the VA has actually taken the right approach, although I couldn't tell them what, <laughs> what approach, but there's, it seems, always seems like there's something more they could do, or they could do whatever they're doing better than what they're doing. I, 
Uh, Well, you know, um, the VA, I think, um, have really um, tried to do, I mean, I think they've they've really recognized that this is no longer just made up. This is something that's more prevalent than we really want to even think. And, um, you know, they have... Uh, they have specific programs for military sexual trauma. Um, there's several inpatient programs uh, for specifically for uh, women um, of military sexual trauma, and I'm and and so some of them are uh, scattered across the country. Um, so it's uh, they do have resources, and you know there's there's movies. There's uh, I was on a documentary um, about this, so that's. Telling your story, having a platform where you can tell your story, and there's a lot of um, now a veteran, female veteran um, uh, stand downs and conferences and things like that. Very empowering and very important that uh, the people go to these things. And and then of course there's the other aspect of. Uh, where do you find uh, a good program? And a lot of them are just mili- women only. Um, but uh, there's also other programs. So you have to kind of look on the Internet and see where there are treatment programs. I know there's one down in Palo Alto and Menlo Park, down in California in that area. And um, the other thing is to the males that have military sexual trauma, that's another um very difficult situation too because like you as being a male if you were to ask a male well if this was going to this if this if this guy ever did this to you what would you do and of course we know the answer to that question they would they would probably harm their perpetrator but they don't get they don't get to do that of course because there's dire consequences for that so a male who's been violated like that, they start questioning their, you know, their masculinity. Are they able to have relationships with uh, females if that's what they want? Um, they start questioning their uh, themselves in terms of their ability to have relationships. And so that's a very complex situation. So I work with quite a few males that have had that experience as well. I know on Habit we have both male and female sets. Yes. Uh, and uh, you know it's it's a sad situation. I, uh, mm-hmm. it, and me, um, my thinking it it's something that should never have happened. Right. Of course not. But you know, the it's just like a piece of pie, a slice of pie. We there are different kinds of people within that slice of pie, and it's the same thing in the military. Um, yes. So that's why um, it's very important for the military to recognize this, which they are. And, you know, it's like telegraph. It's like turning a ship. you got to telegraph your turn. And I know that they are doing that. But, um, you know, I don't know. It just depends on how safe you feel in your unit, how open your commanders are to hearing you. I mean, there's so many dynamics that we aren't even able to anticipate with the the reporting or the getting the support and all of that. So for counselors, it's very important that they explore this with their people if they're going to work with, you know, people 
in any type with any type of PTSD, what's the origin of this post-traumatic stress? And is this like combat related? And then it's on top of that, there's military sexual trauma on top of combat related stress. Uh, so it gets very, very um, uh, complicated. It is complicated, and uh, uh, let's hope that the VA keeps uh, approaching this issue. And and uh, like you say, about the best thing they can do is talk about it, get it out of their system. Mm-hmm. and uh, try to move on. But uh, it's not easy, I would suspect, for a lot of them. Depends no, it's on, not. Depends on all the severity of the incidents. But. That's right. And then, of course, and and then try in keeping the secret, right? You know, it's yeah. one of my new books is called Clandestine, um, and it's like... Uh, how, what do you do? You keep the secret, and it burdens you, and it makes you ill physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You know, the more we hold on to things, um, the more likely we are to get more ill. So it's really important that we have uh, have the ability to uh, talk about these things and uh, just support the people that have had these experiences. Uh, we can only hope it gets better, not worse. And uh, yes. And everyone uh, that's affected uh, does feel uh, like they, you know, they can seek help and and receive help best that they can get. Mhm, mhm. And and that's quite important. As long as they know that. Let's hope sooner or later they all uh, get the required help that they need. Right, that's it, correct. Absolutely. And it it's it's not going to be no easy thing, and I suspect it's not going to go away anytime soon. No, looks not like at all. we're going to be fighting in a war forever. Mhm. And, and but so. I think that- the, the the actual awareness of people and the um, the insight that we have, and I think it's going to cause people hopefully to pause and go, oh, I can't do this, I can't get away with this. There's there's dire consequences for this. So you know, we learn from our mistakes, and we change our behaviors accordingly, hopefully. And I think that's one way this is going to change is to have the awareness that, you know, this is what happens and this is what could happen as a result of this. So I think it really affects, uh, it so hopefully influences people to take um, take a, um, a really um, more clear look on, well, if I harass this person or I go after this person or I do something that's unwanted, uh, this could be the consequence of that uh, type of uh, advancement. Yes. And and you know I don't I would suspect if they approach this more um, when uh, uh, you know troops get into basic training or something maybe address it a little bit more uh, uh, aggressively and and bring us out look here's 
here can be the results of your actions mm-hmm. and the consequences of them. And uh, it's just not the way things are supposed to be. And, uh, you know, if you violate the, this trust, you're going to pay a, a hefty price for it. That's right, right, exactly. And yeah. uh, it, it's something that shouldn't be. Uh, once you have the trust of someone, you shouldn't violate that trust. No, no, not at all. So it's it's very uh, it's something that is um, is in the in is part of that part of the culture that we need to change, and uh, I am hopeful that we are changing that. Oh, let's hope so. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not only in the military. That's through throughout life altogether. In my land, you hear some of the craziest stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, and, you know, another thing that bothered me quite a bit, especially during the Gulf War and what have you, some of these uh, veterans spent uh, six, seven tours over there in the Middle East. Uh-huh. That should uh-huh. never be allowed. Uh, that's, to me, that's just asking for trouble. Yeah. And uh, I think it's it's probably showing up a lot now, I would suspect. Right. I mean, uh, there's, you know, it used to be, oh, my goodness, he, he or she's had two or three tours. Now we're seeing so many more than that. And um, it's a revolving door, and it certainly impacts the ability to have relationships with their families. And, you know, the divorce rate is, is uh, tremendous. And, um, you know, they feel like they just don't fit into society, in the civilian society anymore. They're, it's more familiar being downrange and, uh, being with their, you know, their comrades and doing their jobs, and that really takes a toll on on their relationships with their family members as well as their relationship with themselves. Well, absolutely it does, and and they were just going back to back on these doggone uh, uh, tours, and you know. Ultimately, that's going to take a toll on you. Mm. It can't help. Yeah, you that's play, right. You play with fire enough, you're going to get burnt. And uh, these guys were on a constant ready, you know. that will change but that's that's something that they're going 
to have to work with for probably um, for many, many years, right? And even just having trained in the military, you know, once you take your uniform off, that's very difficult with retirement or medical retirement or you just get out of the military, it's uh, that's usually one of the biggest things you've ever done in your life and once you get out of that it's like how what do I do now yeah. you know, so that that even just regular training can can do that to a person so we can imagine how difficult it would be for those who have had multiple combat tours um to come home and try to adjust back into a civilian type of lifestyle. Yeah, that alone is not an easy task. And then uh, no, should you develop an ailment or something, say, hey, I need to go to the VA. Mm-hmm. And you go in there and say, well, we can't find Who are you? You know, mm-hmm. we don't have no record use there. And so you end up, uh, uh, I ain't going to go there. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes but, uh, that happens too, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, it does. Yeah, well, I've talked to quite a few, you know, the, even as recent as as the Gulf War. There's been a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Uh, well, they say I wasn't there. <laughs> right. Well, that's where it's really. Yeah. That's why it's so important for those who serve in the military uh, to keep as many records as they can, uh, any kind of records, their military records, their performance records, whatever it is, and maintain um, connection with their buddies in case they need some um, collaboration that they were in a a certain area at a certain time. Really important to maintain those connections. Well, it is important, and uh, it's a shame that they have to go through that. And then if they're facing PTSD, uh, you know, if they've been on very extended tours, which is quite possible, Mm -hmm. I can understand someone having PTSD for sure. And and then uh, they get slapped in the face when they go to the VA, Unless they, by chance, like you say, have the records, all of them that they possibly can have, so there's no argument. Here it is, <laughs> black and white, proof I was there. That's right. That's really important. <clears throat> that's that's critical. At least mm-hmm. this day and age, I think uh, the troops are better educated on this sort of thing than we <clears throat> were when I got out of the service. Oh yeah. Right. yeah. They, they wave say don't let the door hit you in behind him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh, once had a friend um and he was getting ready to retire. He was uh, a, a a colonel and um they told him, you know, we love the you love the military more than we love you. So good luck. And that you know, he had dedicated his life to being in the military and serving. And um, that was a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, I can bet it was. (laughs) That'd be enough to make you come unglued. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, yes, uh, it's like uh, you're disposable. 
uh, once you either leave on your own or they put you out for medical or you retire even, mm-hmm. they're through with you. They're done with you. They don't want to really hear from you again. And, yeah, that's uh, why it's so important to have some type of a social support or <clears throat> yes. excuse me, it doesn't have to be a lot of people. I mean, it can be just one or two friends that you could call when, you know, you want to just kind of not be by yourself or need some extra support. Really important. Yes, it is, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's hope they get better at that. My mm-hmm. man, that's, that's horrible to treat someone, especially when they've retired out of service. That's, that's given your country a lot. And yeah, so I, I think that just, uh, you know, talking about it and being more aware of it, and uh, I think that's a very important uh, aspect of this whole process of, of change. Oh, I believe it's better than what it was. But mm-hmm. like I say, uh, veterans are, uh, the new veterans are better educated than what we were when I got out. You couldn't get them uh Road pass, but uh, the the new veterans there, they know to get up. Uh, a lot of them uh, already placed up their all the piles they can, and and which is, you know, that's that's really helpful, especially mm-hmm. if they end up with a claim. Yes, absolutely, and not give up, and um, you know. A, so many times I've seen veterans, you know, I'm I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm I'm done. I'm I'm tired of having to deal with all this and jump through all these hoops. But it's really important not to give up and just keep find you know find a service officer uh, with a service organization that's an advocate that really is uh, dedicated to helping you uh, so that they can help you get through the process of applying for a service connection disability. Yes. And uh, uh, we have these uh, uh, attorney uh, attorneys can help you now. I mean, after you mm-hmm. get get denial, yeah, you can get absolutely. Attorney. There's attorneys that some of them were a former military and or whatever, or they've just decided to dedicate their lives to helping our veterans, and they're very helpful uh, yes. to the process. And uh, attorney practitioners, uh, and they're not actually attorneys, but they're accredited mm-hmm. uh, uh, to uh, work with you. And, and that's good, too. You know, it don't have to actually be a VSO. But uh, so there's help out there. You just have to look to find it. And yes, that's right. And, you know, just ask and, and get support from other veterans who have been there, done that, and, and they'll give you references of, of people that they trust, and that's a really good recommendation for um, those who are trying to seek help or seek advice on service connection disabilities or whatever, but certainly don't ever give up on that. And, you know, those who have also the traumatic brain injuries we're hearing more and more about that too so um those are the the, the wounds that are you know these are all wounds that are we don't see and you know there's plenty of them that we do uh see but 
just find the right people that advocate for you and and don't delay treatment. Get in there and keep your me- uh, medical records so you have a paper trail. Yes, absolutely. Bridget, uh, we're, t- we're out of time. Okay. Uh, you want to give your contact information real quick? Oh, sure. My um, my uh, website is BridgetCantrell.com, and uh, they can reach me on that, and uh, I'm um, available. You know, they can send me emails and stuff like that off the website, and uh, my books are for sale on there, and they're also for sale on Amazon, so I've written a couple of new books. One's called... Um, Clandestine herd is talking about the covert pain that we hold inside and how to deal with that. And then the other one is still outside the wire, speaking to the uh, issues associated with those who served in Afghanistan. Uh, so those are also available out there on Amazon and on my website, both in Kindle and in paper form. Okay, good deal. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you thank so much, you. D- Gerald, for having me on your program again. Well, it's been wonderful, and and we're always happy to have you come on. Oh, it's my and pleasure. I always enjoy it very much, very, so, very much. And, too, this gets uh, put in the archives there at uh, com. Mm-hmm. And anybody that comes through, you know, uh, they can look you up and listen to our show. Well, that's <laughs> or, wonderful. Uh, such a great them, service. Well, uh, we want to help every veteran we can, mm-hmm. however we can. And uh, so it shows like this that kind of steers them in the right direction, gives them hope. That's correct. That's what we need. We need to maintain hope and have a yes. purpose. Okay. Yeah, With thank that, you so much, and, and thank you for all of you who serve our country and have served, and uh, I just appreciate being here so much. So thank you, Gerald, for inviting me again. Uh, thank you for coming on. It's my pleasure. I'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thank you. Uh-huh, and you're certainly welcome. Take care. Gerald Cook with... Uh, uh, Jay Basser will be signing off for now. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Basser Show. <laughs>